I grew up in the 1970s and 80s, a time where the casual funkiness of bell bottoms and flower children became Izod polo shirts, shoulder pads, peg jeans, big bangs, and earrings that matched your dress, that matched your shoes, that matched your makeup. Easter Day 1982 was a reason to fulfill my lifelong dream, and by lifelong I mean all of my 11 years up to that point, to look just like Princess Diana. I had a periwinkle blue dress with polka dots, and for the first time, pantyhose. My ears were recently pierced. My mom had just given me my very first eyeshadow, a subtle electric blue. We went to church that morning and I felt like perfection. I don't remember the sermon or the songs or the people, but I remember my outfit. Now that's the Easter spirit. As so many of us have thought for years, or at least we've acted that way. We get dressed in our very best. We slick back the errant hair. We adjust our tie. We squeeze children's feet into patent leather shoes. We expect the music to be glorious, the church to be beautiful, the kids to be cute, the preaching to be inspirational. And then we go to brunch and we have the most lovely meal, meat cooked to perfection, vegetables prepared just right, Easter eggs hidden in a manicured lawn, Martha Stewart level decorations on our tables. We know that's not reality and maybe you've given it up altogether. And I'm also not saying that dressing up isn't part of the fun. I look forward to seeing you all in your future Easter finest. But I think it's safe to say that somewhere in this cultural narrative, we conflated perfection with resurrection. And by extension, Christianity with perfection. In fact, many people have left their faith in resurrection altogether because they can't buy into that whole perfection thing. And rightly so. But here's the thing. Resurrection is not about being perfect or getting it right or having everything the way we want or happily ever after. Resurrection is about a love that is determined enough to find us in our grief and in our fear to take us by the hand and lead us into hope. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I chose two of the subtler resurrection texts for this morning because in those texts there are no angels in white robes or big surprises or earthquakes or stones rolled away. Instead, there is a woman weeping with grief and confusion outside of a grave. There are ten men, self-isolated in fear and anxiety in an upper room. A man comes to Mary. She's seen the empty tomb, but it doesn't make sense. She's lost her teacher and a friend, and to add insult to injury, his body has been taken. She doesn't recognize the man as Jesus until he says her name. The poet Rilke wrote, I don't have much knowledge yet in grief, so this massive darkness makes me small. Mary was small in her grief, small in the darkness, as Rilke would say, desperate to find a reason, to find a why, to find a way out, to get relief from her pain. Jesus asks her simple and direct questions. Women, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
And her first response is on the surface of things. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. In other words, let's just fix this problem and make it go away. This is our natural and first response to pain, the first sign of grief. Then Jesus says her name, Mary. Everything changes when she hears her name spoken into the cacophony of her grief. Mary sees it as Jesus. And then Mary makes the next understandable move. She wants to hold on to Jesus to make everything just like it was before. And Jesus doesn't allow her to stay there either. Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus invites Mary to become bigger. Her grief was the necessary path to seeing resurrection. Her grief led her to be the one who spoke hope to the disciples and who declared that the God of Jesus belonged to them as well. Jesus God their God, her God. Frances Weller, in her book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, says this, Bringing grief and death out of the shadow is our spiritual responsibility, our sacred duty. By so doing, we may be able to feel our desire for life once again and remember who we are, where we belong, and what is sacred. Grief is essential for life. We're experiencing life as sacred for resurrection, which makes resurrection a lot more messy than we'd like. The second story today is also less than Easter bonnet perfection. What do the disciples do when they discover the empty tomb? They do not rejoice and sing. Their first reaction is complete terror and anxiety. They self-isolate themselves in an upper room. I can only imagine that the conversation goes round and round in an endless cycle of what if and what's next and what will we do, which feels very familiar these days. And Jesus shows up right there in the middle of the cycle without blame or shame and just says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side as if to say, yes, this really happened. Yes, the wounds are real. Yes, the trauma is understandable. Yes, the injustice is still unacceptably wrong. And the text says, then, 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 after Jesus showed them his wounds, then, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They weren't glad about seeing a dead man rise without seeing the wounds that honored their trauma, that validated their fear, that said this all happened and it was real. I feel like I wake up every morning these days and say to myself, this is real. After that admission, the disciples could receive it. They could receive the peace Jesus offered them, the scent and sending of God's own breath, the courage to go out and forgive, just as Jesus had on the cross. Jesus meets the disciples in their fear, anxiety, and trauma and opens a new way to hope. Last summer, my friends Paul and Roz couldn't wait for their daughter's wedding. It was, it is, a seeming match made in heaven for their beloved daughter after some hard years. The wedding day was set up to be perfect, a well-deserved celebration of love and hope. 
Before the ceremony, there was a signing of the ketubah, the Jewish mar marriage covenant, with just close family and friends. Roz signed the ketubah and stepped back, and the heel of her carefully chosen shoes caught on the curb and sent her falling into a two-foot ditch behind her. At her side immediately was a doctor and a nurse and a physician's assistant, all a part of the wedding party. They assessed her situation, got her some pain medication, made a sling out of a caterer's apron. Turns out that she had broken her shoulder into several pieces, but it didn't stop Roz from pushing away the wheelchair, taking the arm of her son and walking down the aisle. She and Paul stood up and read a poem by David White with these words. After all the struggle and all the years, you don't want to anymore. You've simply had enough of drowning and you want to live and you want to love and you will walk across any territory and any darkness, however fluid and however dangerous, to take the one hand you know belongs in yours. These words of love in the midst of struggle, hope in the face of pain, a resolve to be together no matter what, they were never more true than when read by Roz with her arm in a sling, determined to stand for love in the midst of deep disappointment that a perfect day was also a day of injury and pain. In the weeks to come, there would be surgeries, physical therapy, procedures, and recovery for Roz. There was anger, questions, and residual trauma. And then, resolve a seeing of the beauty through the wounds, the shining of love through mutual care. Don't we get protected on certain days? Don't we get a pass from suffering on the day of a beloved daughter's wedding? Don't we get to gather on Easter Sunday? Don't we get to have our graduation when we have worked so hard? Don't those who are sacrificing so much get protected from disease? Do people have to die alone? Why can't the most vulnerable have extra boosts of immunity? Resurrection doesn't come as a free pass. It came when Mary's grief was acknowledged. It came to the disciples when they looked at the wounds of Jesus. It came to rise on an imperfectly perfect wedding day. Resurrection is glimpsed every day right now by our determination to protect life at the cost of our economy and personal freedom. Resurre resurrection just keeps coming through our grief, our uncertainty, our wounds, and our fear. Resurrection is usually not loud and brash, but quiet and unrelenting. It asks us to grow bigger by grieving, to look in the face of the stranger and recognize Jesus to face wounds in ourselves and others so that we can know peace, to let go of our assumptions that we know just where and how God will show up. Kate Bowler is a church historian, author, and young mother who has also been living with incurable colon cancer for the last five years. She has become a valuable and trusted voice for many in recent weeks because she knows the reality that not everything happens for a reason. This week, she was asked by the New York Times what she would say to someone who doesn't pray. And she said this, For me, part of the joy of prayer is having abandoned the formula. I have no expectation that prayer works in a direct way. But I do hope that every person, religious or not, feels the permission to say, I'm at the edge of what I know. 
And in the face of the sea of abyss, someone out there, please show me love. Because that's to me the only thing that fills up the darkness. It's somehow in there, the feeling that I am not for no reason. And that doesn't mean anything better is going to happen to me. But in the meantime, that I will know that we all are deeply and profoundly loved. That's my hope for everybody. Resurrection is not magical thinking. Resurrection is not perfectly dressed or performed. Resurrection doesn't even require a sanctuary or a church service. It doesn't give us a pass on anything. Resurrection means we are deeply and profoundly loved and that God stops at nothing, not even death, to let us know that.